0: This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at FearFreePets.com.
1: This is the Fear Free podcast series. I'm your host, Steve Dale, with Dr. Meg Heron, veterinary behaviorist who worked on the book Decoding Your Cat, but we're going to be talking dogs. She is the Senior Director of Behavioral Medicine, Research, and Education at Gigi's, a shelter organization dedicated to improving lives of shelter dogs. Dr. Heron, we want to improve lives of shelter dogs, and to do that, we don't want them to be sick. And historically, historically, one of the greatest problems is something called the canine parvovirus. Can you explain, first of all, just in general terms, for those who may not know, and I think most do, you know what? I think I said that right in a way, because in in parts of the country, I think that there are veterinarians who have never treated canine parvovirus, which is a good thing. So can you take it from there? Sure thing. Boy, I'd say they are
0: are quite lucky if that is the case. You know, even I, as a veterinary behaviorist, uh, have treated a number of of parvo cases. And they, they can be very devastating, Steve, as you said. So, you know, canine parvovirus is something that is a virus that basically affects rapidly dividing cells in a dog's body, which are mainly going to include the bone marrow and the lining of the intestines. And this is a virus that really jumped into the dog world in the seventies, you know, and kind of unknown whether it came from a similar virus in cats or other wildlife. Um, But basically viruses do what they do and they find new hosts and they learn how to survive and they do so by absolutely destroying a dog's intestinal tract. Um, and their white blood cells. So that that leads to some really almost, in a lot of, in most cases that are untreated, a fatal gastrointestinal illness. So essentially the lining of their gastrointestinal tract is destroyed. So they have terrible diarrhea. They're unable to keep fluid in their body. So they become profoundly dehydrated. And then the bacteria that's in the gut can seep into the bloodstream in the body and they can become septic. And, and is, again, almost always fatal if it is not treated. So it's devastating, devastating. Thank goodness we have a vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness.
1: Well, thank goodness, but but but, but, yes, exactly. Get the vaccine in
0: the dog at the appropriate time, and you know, as many of those of us in the veterinary community know, you you've got to booster that vaccine because you know the problem is that a you know a, a mother dog is going to you know give her share her antibodies through her colostrum and milk with the puppies, and those antibodies while they give some protection to those puppies, they they fight with the vaccines as well. So sometimes our vaccines don't work quite as well when they're fighting with those natural antibodies. And so it's very important that puppies be vaccinated, you know, as early as four weeks of age, and that maintain vaccination, um, you know, through the maternal antibody phase, which is typically somewhere between 16 and 20 weeks that we got to keep booster every three to four weeks.
1: And I'm going to bury the lead a little bit up. We'll talk about this new monoclonal antibody treatment, which is a game changer. I, I suggest you would agree with that, but I want to wait to do that for a moment. Let, what do you do with clients who say, either I won't vaccinate because I don't see parvovirus or I don't believe in vaccines, or mm-hmm. those who don't get the booster because they say, I'm too busy, or I don't want to. Same thing, vaccinate, or I don't see the parvo virus in my neighborhood, and therefore I mm-hmm. don't need to do it.
0: Yeah, well, I will say. So, at our organization, we have part we partner with six rural shelters in southern Ohio, and I, I don't. I think not believing in vaccines is almost a privilege. I think a lot of these folks they just don't even know about it, um, or and or. Maybe Maybe can't afford it. So there's that, right? So there's mm-hmm. that access to care that's a problem in a large part of our country, right? So people either aren't aware of it, they don't have access to a veterinarian or can't afford it. And so therefore, the vaccines aren't an option for them. But then to have that, you have the access to it, you can afford them and then to, to deny it is really dangerous and probably just miseducated rather than uneducated is what I would assume, uh, because this is the deadly virus. If 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 it's not treated and even, you know, we treat Parvo here at our, our shelter, um, which is unique for, for a lot of shelter organizations, but we do have the resources to do so. Um, but even with the best of ICU care, it can still be fatal, right? There is no guarantee that they're going to survive even with the best of treatment. And it's been just absolutely heartbreaking for us, you know, to have to see these puppies and and, and the illnesses it causes. It's not just about the death, but it's about the days leading up to that, right? They are profoundly ill, nausea, vomiting, terribly painful diarrhea, abdominal pain. I mean, they can't maintain their blood sugar, so sometimes we see seizures. I mean, it's it's devastating, Steve, as, as you well know.
1: So one of the many reasons why we've been looking for a long time for this instant answer, if you will, to canine parvovirus no. is because even when treated successfully, the term successfully I don't believe, and I'm curious as to what your take on this is, Hmm. is quite the right term because there are long range impacts and some of them potentially, which you can explain if you agree, behavior.
0: Absolutely. Right, so I think, you know, from a simple black and white standpoint, you might look at success being survival. So um, we get through the, you know, physically life-threatening aspects of Parvo um, but then we have to look at the repercussions long-term. And so physically, you know, you can see long-term gastrointestinal problems. Again, this is a destruction of the gastrointestinal tract. And so recovery from that can sometimes lead to longer-term inability to fully absorb nutrients, as well as chronic regurgitation, um, inflammatory bowel problems. I mean, there's there's there are sequelae physically. But the biggest concern, and I'm not, I am biased, yes, I am a veterinary <laughs> behaviorist, so that is my specialty, uh, but... I mean, there's a laundry list of problems that we look at behaviorally. And so, you know, our, our shelter is a unique organization, A, that we treat parvo, and B, that we have, have a veterinary behaviorist and a, and a large behavior team. So when we have a parvo case, not only are we looking at getting the best treatment that we can as soon as we can, but also how our, our behavior team is in there trying to make up for the damage that's being done. And by damage, it's really about... You know, what, what's not just what's what they're going through during treatment. You know, it can be, we are a fear-free shelter. So we do the best we can to minimize stress. But you're talking multiple needle pokes a day, multiple blood draws, your treatments that are injectable, right? Because these animals, they can't keep anything down. So all of their treatments need to be injectable. Um, so even with the best of fear-free practices, it's still stressful. And so the long lasting negative effects of handling. So how is that dog going to grow up and see the veterinary clinic? How are they going to respond later to handling, to blood draws, to needle pokes, right? So we are doing everything we can to mitigate that. But your average hospital may not have the resources or time to do that. And so these puppies, while we might get them to survive, have longer lasting effects. So if you think about, you know, in the development of a a puppy socially, the socialization window for them, meaning the time where their brain is a sponge and this is their chance to learn about the world, learn what is safe and what can I feel good about as a grown-up. Because if puppies don't learn that things are safe as a puppy, as an adult, those things are dangerous to them, right? It's novel. It's new. I I wasn't introduced to this when I was young, right? If mommy didn't show me it was safe, then it must be dangerous. And you know what dogs do, right? When they think things are dangerous, they have profound fear or sometimes utilize fear-related aggression. So we can, you know, we're seeing this just in the pandemic with under-socialized dogs' rights and an increase in fear-related aggression to strangers and other dogs, well, you know, dogs that are subject to parvo are going to be isolated from all of those experiences because there's a hospitalization phase, right? So the longer they're in the hospital, the every day is a missed opportunity for meeting kids, guys with beards, other dogs, the feel of grass under their feet, The flush of a toilet all these things that we take for granted Uh, puppies are missing out on that kind of exposure and so then they're growing up later being afraid of those things and in some you know terrible cases are, are showing aggression towards them which you know all could have been prevented had they had the ability to be adequately socialized so not just for the hospitalization but know for the shedding period so the longer a puppy has parvo you know they're going to be potentially shedding that in their feces and so they are they need to be isolated from other dogs and so we're potentially looking at two three weeks of them not having the chance to learn normal adequate socialization behaviors with other dogs and there are other dogs in this world right so even if you say well i just have a single dog i don't have any other dogs it's going to be fine You're going to see dogs on a walk. You're going to encounter other dogs at the veterinary clinic. You you decide to take them to a dog park or to, you know, a a pet store. You're going to see other dogs. And it can be a real safety issue if dogs are feeling afraid of other dogs and are barking and lunging just as a form of protecting themselves. It, It can be a real problem. And then you think about house training. Like I said, one of the biggest symptoms of parvo is diarrhea, major diarrhea. And so these dogs, unfortunately, I mean, we do the best to clean up so quickly. But again, they are they are defecating at a very high rate. And so they're stuck having that exposure. And over time, some of these dogs can get what we call learned helplessness where they're like, well, I can't escape it. So why should I bother holding it anymore? And so it takes them a while to regain, you know, solid stools you know, the sooner they regain solid, school, solid stools, the better for them, because then we can start teaching them to hold it and teaching them to go to the bathroom outside of where their living space is. And so the longer this disease goes on, the worse these signs are, the harder it is for them to be house trained, which, I mean, what's funny is when people tell me about a dog they want to adopt, one of the first things they say to me as a, as a attribute is, well, I would just like a dog that's house trained. I won't go into how that's not an attribute to a dog. That's a human responsibility to train a dog. But you know, it, with parvo, they're they're we're setting them up already at a disadvantage for house training that way. Um So again, I, I think I I have a lo- large laundry list of behavioral uh, sequelae that far outweigh even the physical consequences of a dog having parvo.
1: And there are physical consequences potentially that can last a long time too, as you said Absolutely. at the very yeah yeah as you as you talked about so. Not all shelters have a Dr. Megan Heron. Not all animal <laughs> shelters have a veterinary behaviorist. Most do not. So the result is profound when those dogs are ultimately either adopted or land back at the home that they were in in the first place. If we're talking about a veterinary clinic, speaking of veterinary Correct. clinics or shelters, I want mm-hmm. to talk about the staff. At those places that have to deal with everything you just listed in your laundry list, that's not easy to do.
0: No, and it's when you've treated a parvo puppy, it changes your life. I mean, it's just there's nothing worse than seeing those little eyes look up at you, being in such severe pain, dehydration malaise and they have no idea what's going on and so there those eyes look at you longingly asking for help and you this our staff and i know i've been in emergency clinics icus and general practices that treat parvo as well and i mean you put your blood sweat and tears to to just the bond you have with these patients is incredible and when you've done everything you can and they still don't make it it's devastating it's absolutely devastating and then you have the client aspect of it, right? So you have families that are devastated by their pet not surviving. Um, And then, you know, the staff, the staff take that burden on as well, right? The human aspect of it, you know, people joke like why I was a veterinarian, you know, go to vet school if you don't like people. This is a people profession, 100%. And so we, we take on that trauma that our clients experience. It's, it's, It can be overwhelming when you treat a lot of parvo and you see a lot of mortalities. It it really can weigh on people uh, over time. And we we can see a lot of compassion, compassion fatigue as a result. I know definitely our staff, after we've had several parvo cases that didn't make it, they need a break. Like we give them several days off because it's really hard on them.
1: So all of these reasons, and this is why I left the best for last, if you will, for decades People have been saying, people in the profession, gee, if there were just some early intervention that we can do for the dogs that are not vaccinated for whatever reason, that we can do for these, they're greatly puppies, that we can do, which makes it even more heartbreaking, right, for these puppies, that would be a miracle. Well, today, we kind of have that miracle, don't we?
0: It's, it's looking that way, Steve. I'm, I'm super excited about it. <laughs>
1: So talk a little about a monoclonal antibody. And I guess that's where we start. What is, and it's all the term right now that people want to use, a monoclonal antibody?
0: Yeah, so Elanco has come out with this, revolu- I consider it revolutionary product. So it's a canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody. Now, a monoclonal antibody is simply that it's an antibody um, that is manufactured to recognize a specific protein on a cell. And this product specifically um, binds and blocks to the canine parvovirus. And so, what it does is sort of, it kind of makes it inactive, right? So, it prevents it from entering and destroying the cells of the gastrointestinal tract. So, that in, in as a consequence, it's going to prevent it from destroying those enterocytes. It's going to prevent that major diarrhea, going to hopefully prevent that, um, what we call septicemia or the ability of that bacteria from the gut to enter the bloodstream. Um, and so it's it's a single dose that is given IV, ideally at the start, like if the second you diagnose canine parvovirus in a, in a dog, the idea is that it's given as early as possible um, to have the best effects.
1: So you said as early as possible. How early at a practical level? What are we talking about here?
0: Well, it's funny you ask, because we actually just had four puppies uh, break with Parvo this morning. Um, And within an hour, uh, you know, it takes a while. You've got to at least in a shelter setting, we've got to get on appropriate PPE to protect the rest of the population and get them into our Parvo treatment center. Um, And again, it's upon entry, right? They're getting examined We're getting their IVs. Um, ready and the monoclonal canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody is is the first treatment that we are giving in hopes to halt the destructive ability of this virus as quickly as we can.
1: And how quickly does this seem to take effect?
0: Uh, well, so this is going to be different in every every dog, but if you look at the studies, because we you know we've just only had a few cases that we are starting to treat with, and so far results have been very good but if you look at the this, this the initial study that alanco did it, it, i mean it, it, they are game changing if this is going to be the if this really plays out in the clinical world it's going to be a game changer and so in the clinical study that they did there were 28 dogs um, that were purposely infected uh well I said they were challenged with canine parvovirus and basically when they started to show clinical signs and test positive for parvo, they were given the monoclonal antibody IV. So I think it was day four after the challenge with canine parvovirus. So not just, I think it was 21 dogs that were treated with canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody, and there were seven dogs in the control group that were not treated with this product. None, not, not only is it remarkable that not a single one of those puppies that were treated died not a single one so a zero percent mortality rate for those that were treated so let's just think about that <laughs> yeah uh I'm and I as I just told you like even with the best of ICU care in our hospital we still we still lose three to four out of every 10 dog we treat with Parvo yeah. and in this case of 21 dogs not a single one of them died but what I find even more remarkable is the morbidity so the resolution of clinical signs was significantly faster. And this is without any other treatment. This is just the monoclonal antibody, Steve. It's pretty amazing. Um, So the time to resolution of vomiting was significantly faster in treated puppies. The time to resolution of lethargy was significantly shorter in treated puppies. And the time to resolution of inapetence was significantly shorter in these dogs. Um, I mean, it's incredible. Like if we can shorten, A, it's saving lives. But if we can shorten how long they are sick, In our shelter, the second they have normal stools and have a resolution of clinical signs, meaning they're no longer vomiting, they're no longer lethargic, and they are eating with solid stools, we are snap testing them. The second they have two days in a row of negative snap tests, they're getting bathed, they're moving out, we're getting them adopted. So the faster we can get these puppies over these clinical signs and back to normal health, the faster I can get them into a home and the less I am stealing from their socialization period. So for us, I think... A complete game changer if this plays out clinically like it is in the, in the clinical
1: trials. And that's for the dogs, but also for if we're talking shelters, shelter staff, if we're oh, talking yeah. a veterinary and, clinic for mm-hmm. that staff as well. Uh, so this is good for sort of both sides of the equation. Right. Obviously, right. saving dogs lives is at the very top of the list mm-hmm. or puppies lives, really, because that's greatly who we're talking about. Are they continuing to be as contagious when they do go home?
0: So we don't don't have the numbers on that. We are currently snap testing every dog for fourteen days past uh, their first negative snap test. So far, no one has snapped positive since they've had two in a row that were negative. Um, But again, we're in the we are collecting data on that for our own interest, Um, and so I can't speak to what the studies that have been done on the canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody as of yet. I don't. I don't know that answer. Um, but I, I think one thing we didn't talk about, Steve, is, is the cost, the cost of treating parvo, right? So from a shelter, like where our resources are limited, the fewer days we have a, a dog in, the, in our canine parvovirus treatment center, our cost goes down substantially. And then you think about it from a client standpoint, right, because a lot of puppies are euthanized because the clients can't afford the treatment. So they might have survived with treatment, but they can't afford the ICU care, um, you know, and so... A lot of times if they have the ability to do outpatient care, which there are outpatient treatment plans for dogs that are severely ill who cannot maintain their blood glucose, the outpatient treatment tends not to work very well. Uh, But even then there's expense and then you're asking clients to bring Parvo into their home and try to treat a very sick dog in their home. But if we can actually decrease how sick they are and so maybe that outpatient care works a little better. And if we could even cut an ICU stay down by one, two, three, four nights, we're talking about thousands of dollars saved to our clients.
1: Yeah, it's it's quite incredible. And we're talking about saving lives. And you mentioned everything very, very articulately. Uh, so this is, I think, a game changer. You said, I think your word was revolutionary. It is, <laughs> it, is it is. It is. It's quite incredible. I mean, when you first became a veterinarian, and you saw parvovirus here and there and there and there all around mm-hmm. you. Would you have ever thought that there could be a, a drug, a treatment like this? I mean, it's amazing.
0: It's amazing. I'm I'm really excited about it, Steve. Really excited, and um, I'll have to keep you posted on our four puppies today who are have already begun their treatment. Um, so we'll hope for the best because we were we did catch it very early for them. So the hope is is that their their morbidity will be very low and that they will all, all make it through.
1: All right. Well, that's a good place to leave it. Dr. Megan Heron, veterinary behaviorist, co-editor of the book Decoding Your Cat. Can I say that word, cat, even though we're talking about dogs? Uh, Still a
0: cat lover, Steve. You know it. I do know it. The (laughs) Senior
1: Director, Behavioral Medicine, Research Education at Gigi's, a shelter organization that is dedicated to improving lives of shelter dogs. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the fear-free happenings. Access new toolbox items and find out all the additional courses at FearFreePets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at FearFreePets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing veterinary practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, learn more about the resources we have for you at FearFree Happy Homes. Dot .com I'm Steve Dale